So hi am I, welcome to the Crossshape Community Podcast. My name is Ken Kites and we're going to be exploring how New Zealand Baptist churches have been endeavouring to keep community during testing times. But to begin with I'd like to examine the unique form of community that I think Jesus wants for the church, something that I call cross-shaped community. us with that, I have with me Dr. Greg Liston of Laidlaw College. Kia ora Greg. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and good to be with you. Um, So just by way of introduction of Greg, Greg is a theologian from Laidlaw College and author of the book Kingdom Come, among others, Um, although I haven't read it yet because it's not not out till August this year. I've I've read a chapter-by-chapter synopsis of Kingdom Come, and from what I've read of the it's going to be a book that I think will help the church understand the unique form of community God wants for the church. Just first up, what motivated you to write Kingdom Come? That's a really good question. It, it actually um, emerged as a book from a conversation that I had on the way home from church with my daughter. Um, and my daughter was going through a bit of a tough time. And um, she, uh, the uh, the pastor of the church that I go to was uh, saying things in the church like, um, hey, if you're going through a tough time, remember that we're, we're there for you and we want to be there for you and we want to help you and we want to we, we, we be that, that community for you. Yeah. And on the way home from the church, Emily, in strong language, uh, suggested that the church wasn't like that and that she mm. was a bit disappointed that it wasn't quite the way that it should be. And um, I tried to explain to her Probably not very well, Ken, but as well as I could. Hey, we're on a journey. Do you know what I mean? And we're yeah. heading towards somewhere and we're not everything that we should be yet. And then I sort of thought, well, how does what we will be relate to what we are? And how does the spirit take this future truth, this incredible kingdom coming that we're going to be part of and make it a genuine reality now? And I thought, I, I, I don't really have a good answer to that. And so from that comes this 90,000 word book in terms of trying to explore how the kingdom impacts what happens now in, our, in the reality in our churches. Yeah. So there's a lot of overlap actually with your um, you know, wonderful little Grove book um, on um, cross-shaped community. So it'll be interesting as we chat to explore how similar or different they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's awesome to hear how that arose out of just, you know, simple family type conversations. Yes, yes, Greg. one of those conversations that you have all too often probably, but still, yeah. Yeah. So Greg, here's my working definition, and it is just a working definition. I'm, I'm expecting I'll need to modify it along the way as I find out more about about community and in, in church, how that's worked out. But, but my working definition of, of what I call cross-shaped community um, that I'd like your help with um, so that we can better understand the unique form of community that God wants for the church. Mm-hmm. So here's my working definition of cross-shaped community. Cross-shaped community is, I think, formed upon the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and is formed by his gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. Mm. A cross-shaped community practices distinctive Christ-like patterns of faithful obedience, self-giving love, power in weakness and transformative hope and cross-shaped community represents jesus and his coming kingdom to the world so greg you know i've had the have the privilege of getting a a sneak preview of your book through your synopsis of it and in chapter three of kingdom come 
You say, you paint a picture of the Spirit leading us in cruciform lives that echo Christ's overarching meta-narrative. So I wonder if you can unpack that, unpack, yeah, unpack that like for us. Sounds like academic speak, doesn't it? There you yeah. go. Uh, look, uh, it, there's a lot of overlaps here between what you're talking about. And I think um, like the, the stuff that you talk about in your book is particularly talking about um, conflict and conflict management and conflict resolution. I think all I'm doing, because I probably have a few more words to be able to use than you do in mine, um, that uh, I'm trying to talk about the overall transformation process. And so the way that I talk about it in the book is I, I talk about this this master narrative um, of uh, of Jesus's life, which you've, you've actually already talked about there, about the, the, the incarnation leading on to the life, leading on to the death, leading on to the resurrection, and then leading on from that into Christ's heavenly session, you know, where he dwells together with God and eternity and time come together. And then notice that our stories, you know, echo that story, that, that kind of master narrative, both on a long-term scale, you know, where we're created, we live, we die, we're resurrected, we live with Jesus, but also on a, on a, on a kind of short-term scale as well, in yeah. the sense that our lives have these kind of mini deaths and mini resurrections as we die to ourselves and then get reborn into this new life in Christ. And that it's not just on an individual level, but on a community level, like the churches that we're part of go through these deaths and resurrections and our families go through these kinds of things. So I talk in my book about how life and time has this kind of fractal nature. Um, you know, fractals are kind of um, the snowflakes and those kinds of yep. things. Like at small scale, they echo what's going on at the big scale. And you can keep on sort of um, focusing in and focusing in on a fractal. And you see the same pattern over and over again. So I talk about the, the way that life has this kind of fractal kind of nature to it. And the reason for that is because we actually genuinely, not just metaphorically, we participate in Christ's life, that his life becomes ours and our life becomes his. So we become part of his life and he becomes part of ours. It's like that Galatians 2.20 verse, you know, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So I, yeah. I'm part of that life and he's part of my life. And so because of that, his story becomes part of our story and our story becomes part of his story and they all get intertwined together in this lovely fractal kind of nature. Yeah. So that's the kind of picture that I'm trying to, to paint there. So uh, it, if, if that makes sense. So that's what I'm talking about. The kind of cruciform life that we're led into is a life that echoes Jesus because it's actually participating in his life. It's, yeah. it's really part of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I love that illustration of the, the fractal, the, the little snowflake that, that you zoom in on. And that's a little picture of nice. the bigger one. That's, yeah, and, that's, and yeah. it's not just that it's um, an echo. It's that it's beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 yeah. This this repeating, echoing of, of, of a theme, this master story, you know, incarnation, life, death, resurrection, heavenly session. It, it creates something in us which which I think is, is wonderful, it's lovely. Yeah. And the point, the major point that I make in the book is that it's transformative, that it's through this participation in this life, death, resurrection, that, that, life, that our life as community and our life as individuals gets transformed. That's the way that we get transformed, by participating in the life of Christ and Him participating in our lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's... it's um, probably taking a grander, bigger version of kind of what I've done is I've looked in on, really focused in on Paul's letter to the Philippians, right. where where he describes what I think sounds similar to what you're describing, Greg, um, where he describes the kind of community 
churches are meant to have right at the beginning of Philippians 2 right. um, with those those beautiful words and then after describing this picture of the community and unity together he writes let each of you look not to your own interests but to the interests of others let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus right. um, and and then he unpacks that by retelling the gospel story like like you've just been been talking about so mm-hmm. yeah I so what you're saying is that you see it as um, the stuff that I'm talking about is quite similar to what you talk about as, as a cross-shaped community. Yeah, um, perhaps where, I don't know if this is similar or different to you, but um, in this description that Paul describes in, in Philippians 2, 5 to 11 or 6 to 11 in particular, where he narrates the gospel story, um, I think we can pull out some patterns out mm. of that, of like behaviour patterns. This is what behaving like Christ in community looks mm. like mm-hmm. in, in quite a bit of specifics. I guess just like that, that fractal pattern of the of a little snowflake, these patterns are, can be lived out in us in patterns of Christ-like self-giving love, right. Christ-like faithful obedience to right. the Father, yeah. um, Christ-like power through weakness, mm-hmm. um, giving up our power to use weakness. And in the transformation, the reversals that you know are like the resurrection, where, where we've worked at something to bring about a reversal, we see a, a, a glimpse of the, the ultimate reversal, which happened when, when Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven and his kingdom come. Nice, lovely. Um, so what you're trying to do is to take the overall pattern and then draw out some of these key principles that say, this is how we can actually live cruciform lives or how we can actually go about um, modeling Christ's life with our intentional patterns and in life that we go through. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, on yeah. a daily basis. I yeah. think we can live out these patterns in all kinds of different yeah. contexts, yeah. But, but with similar patterns of, of faith, love, power through weakness, and, and hope. Yeah. Nice, yeah. lovely, really, really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so, Greg, one of the things that caught my attention in, in reading through that synopsis of, of your book was the part that suffering pay, plays in the formation of cruciform lives and cross-shaped community. So do you want to explain a bit more about the role that suffering has in this? I don't think any of us like suffering. <laughs> Probably the first point to make is that um, uh, suffering played an important part in Jesus's life. Yeah. Um, that uh, <laughs> that sounds like a cliche, but it's, I mean, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it says... This, this is a verse that I spent an awful lot of time thinking about. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, talks about how Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, that's just an extraordinary thing to be able to say. I mean, firstly, that Jesus learned things, which we usually don't think about Jesus in that sort of sense. We sort of say, oh, he was, he was perfect all the way, so he didn't have to learn stuff. But, I mean, obviously that's a... Well, that's a docetic understanding to use the academic spec. It's, it, yeah. it's thinking of Jesus as more divine and rather rather than human. Humans always learn things; they grow and they develop, and that's what it means to be human. So Jesus learned things, but how did he learn things? He learned things through suffering, through through being rejected by his friends, through having the Pharisees and other leaders having not wanting anything to do with him. Do you know what I mean? Through yeah. through the things that he suffered, he learned the obedience that that made him i guess the true son of the father in the sense that it, that made that made him able to be able to reflect who he truly was yeah which is yeah. this um wonderful amazing um you know son of god become human and 
the uh, I guess the insight out of that is simply that um, Jesus, the, the way that Jesus learned obedience is the way that we learn obedience as well. That we yeah. learn obedience through things going wrong, things going yeah. wrong yeah. externally in the sense of uh, you know the world imposing difficulties on us or, or things becoming difficult as a, as a church, but also things going wrong within the church. You know when yeah, we yeah. butt up against each other mm. and we find people that we disagree with or we just don't like or those kinds of things. Yeah. That sort of suffering that enables us to grow and to learn obedience. So in the same way that Jesus learned obedience, we learn obedience. It's it's through suffering, but not just through suffering. It's through obedient suffering, through choosing yeah. to honor God in the midst of those difficult times. So. Um, uh, yeah, I, I see it as absolutely crucial, and I see suffering as one of the key ways that the Spirit transforms the church over time to make us more and more like the kingdom. Yeah. Does that yeah. match kind of yeah. with what you were talking about with your, what is it, distinctive Christ-like patterns yeah. of a cross-shaped community? But, well, I can see how it does. I mean, I, I hadn't thought of it so much from that suffering perspective that you're giving, but, but as I've thought about it a bit more, I, I think it certainly is there because... You know, to, to practice self-giving love, that we've got to give up something for the other, and there's usually some suffering involved in giving away something that 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 is ours for mm. for the other person. And likewise, faithful obedience—that's being faithfully obedient to God's will rather than than my own will—and that kind of requires a little bit of giving up, a bit of suffering to to do that. And and particularly perhaps in the power and weakness pattern right. where. That's you know, probably we're so, the best example, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we're so used to using whatever forms of power we might have, mm. whether it's our wealth, whether it's our position, our status, our network of people, those kinds of things, we can use them to, to manipulate things to get what we want. Mm. But but according to these patterns that I see in, in Christ, he, he gave away all the forms of power he had, and he had the ultimate power, didn't he? He had God the Father there. Um, and... And yeah, and there's suffering involved in, in, in having to give away mm. power like that to to just allow God to work in those mm. situations rather than us trying to make things happen mm. as we might want them to be. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can see there's certainly suffering involved. And, and particularly, maybe um, it's highlighted when it comes to divisive issues in the church right. where you know, we all have our positions we take and we think we're right and the other's wrong. Mm. But in reality, we all may need to lay something down and go through a bit of suffering to to be able to resolve the differences that that we've got. Yeah, yeah. I remember I had a um, back when I was a management consultant. I had a behavioural helper, maybe is the best way of putting it, <laughs> who was helping us, helping me to understand. And one of the things she um, she noticed was the way that I always avoided any kind of conflict, which I think yeah. most of us try and do, yes. to be honest. Yeah. And she said, "What you need to do, Greg, is you need to change your attitude." When someone has a different opinion from you, rather than seeing it as something that you go into the fight for, you have yeah. to say, you have to sit back in your chair and you have to go, ah, wow, an opportunity to learn something more about someone that I didn't already know, an opportunity to grow. This is yeah. good. I like this. Yeah. And I kind of think that's almost, not exactly, but it's almost yeah. exactly the kinds of thing that, that James says when yes. he talks about, yeah. you know, count it joy whenever you suffer in any yeah. kind. Of which, you know, the, the right response is, yeah, right. I mean, who, who actually thinks like that? But actually the response is, when you suffer, you sit back yeah. and you say, an opportunity to grow, yes. an opportunity to learn more about myself, yeah. an opportunity to become more prepared for the coming kingdom yeah. that's going to yeah. happen. Now, 
but that's hard. That's yeah. really, really hard to do. But, I mean, I think that that's exactly what the biblical authors, um, Philippians, James, Paul, yeah. all these people are trying to point us to. And I, I think it's um, significant. Yeah. I also think it's something that we in the Western church do terribly badly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we try and avoid it as much as possibly can. We've designed church to minimize conflict as much as we can rather than actually getting to know each other and butting heads yeah. with all of the relational challenges that are yeah. involved with that. Yeah. And interesting, isn't it, that sometimes some, a workplace uh, colleague can sometimes have ever better perspective on a kingdom situation than what yeah. we might nice. potentially practice in the church. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, Greg, how about you, you've talked about leading cruciform lives as echoing Christ's overarching narrative. Now, we, we've already talked about that a bit, but do you want to just explain that a bit more? How, how does this echo Christ's overarching narrative? So the, the key point that I'm trying to get to is how it leads to, to transformation, which is some of the points that we've yeah. already been talking about. And the idea is that suffering is not just suffering. Suffering is something that the Spirit guides us through as we suffer. Yeah. And it's actually through the way that the Spirit sort of brings back these future aspects of the kingdom to be part of um, the reality that we live now and it's through our suffering and through our you know cross-shaped narrative that these future truths come back and be part of what it is that we're we're um we get to experience now yeah. and so and these future truths to be honest they they, they very closely um match your um <laughs> your distinctive practices so that the kinds of future truths that i was talking about yeah. was yeah. um you know the future truth of the the kingdom being a place of life yeah. and so the spirit through our suffering brings life back and yeah. makes it part of our present reality not in total but but yeah. in part yeah. it takes truth you know yes. the opportunity to say this is this is a genuine reality this is the way it is so it brings yeah. truth back and understanding of truth um love which is directly yeah. one of yeah. yours you know love is one of the key aspects of the kingdom the kingdom is a is a place of love and unity and then so the the, the spirit brings those things back through through our suffering and through our fractal participation yeah. in yeah. in the life of Christ, so that we get to in experience that more and more in our communities. And similarly, the last one, and I think you've also got this one as well, if I recall correctly, was hope. Um, yeah. This this idea yeah. of um, of looking forward to be able to say this is what it's going to be like, and I can live in the basis of what that's going to be like. So life, truth, love, and hope, my four ones, which, yeah, you know, yeah. they do closely align with the ones that you have. So, uh, yeah, 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 I think it's yeah. the idea of these um, future truths of the kingdom coming back because what the Spirit does is the Spirit brings the presence of Christ the King back to be truly part of our communities. Yeah. So because yeah. Christ the King is part of our communities, the character of the King gets increasingly um, pervade through yeah, our communities sure. and so we become more and more like that as time goes by yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought one of the phrases I like that I think is, is along similar lines to what you're describing that <clears throat> I mean I owe, I owe a lot of my thinking to um, Michael Gorman Dr yes, Michael Gorman yes. and, and his book called Cruciformity that he's written but he's yeah. written another one called Becoming the Gospel yeah. and this idea of we actually become the gospel. We we live out the story over and over again, and the, the fractal um, different opportunities we have to do that. But yeah, we're participating in Christ. We're participating in the narrative. We're bringing that future truth of the kingdom back into the present today as we live that out. And 
Yeah, so I think I think becoming the gospel is another way of describing something similar to, to uh, what you were describing there, Greg. Um, nice, cool. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, so what you're saying is that it's it's, I mean, I'm seeing overlaps here between what I'm saying and what you're saying, but can you sort of outline some of the, the ways that it's similar or different to the way that what you say is the cross-shaped um, representation of community? Is that... Is, there's overlaps between what I'm talking about and what you're talking about there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you you bring some other perspectives to it that I haven't necessarily thought of. You know, like, for mm. example, truth and all that, and other ways of of you know, it's a big kingdom. It's that's probably yeah. limitless in terms of the ways we could describe it and mm. and try living it out today. But I guess that's the bit where I think because we're mere human beings trying to live this out today, it, it's helpful to have some quite tangible uh, patterns to to follow and live out with the Spirit's help, mm-hmm. which is where I find that, you know, that faith, love, power and hope is, is a, as a paradigm that's that's helpful. It's beautiful. I mean, the other great thing, particularly about your, um, your, your growth book and the way it points in that direction is the way that it makes it extraordinarily tangible in everyday people's lives, right? So it's yeah. not just... It's not academic high spec, you know, which someone could potentially accuse my book of. But uh, um, but it, it actually says, hey, this is this is this is genuine and this is real, and this yeah. affects how someone works on the sound desk on Sunday yes. morning, yeah. or it affects how you know you know two parents deciding who's going to be the the camp mum or dad at a at a youth group yeah. is going to be. Yeah. That it's actually genuine real life that we yeah. experience this suffering, but also this faith, hope, power, and love. Yeah. being exercised in our everyday lives yeah. so yeah. yeah for sure join me for part two of this interview with greg liston as we continue discussing the unique form of community god intends for the church what i call cross-shaped community and greg calls kingdom come